Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. Today's episode is titled, TikTok-inspired Disney Hercules to 3D-printed blood vessels. And more news here on the Hometown Daily News Show. Hello, I am Marwat. This is the Hometown Daily News Show. That is hometown over there. I actually don't have some of my lights on. I know this is kind of weird. I feel half powered. Let me activate. There we go. Much better. See all that power going into the brain there. It's it's what powers Marwat. Let's get into today's news. I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to beat around the bush. A patient files a class action suit against advocate Aurora Health following data breach. And uh, my bot just threw in um, some news that we are live streaming. Something that I don't do anymore is post each one of the articles. Instead, I encourage you to go over to uh, showbot, which if you hit exclamation point showbot, I should put a note on the screen so that people can do that. Uh, you can head over to hometown.showbot.tv and see all of the articles prior to the actual show. I and my soapboxing and my adding to the context of whatever news I'm actually viewing. I hope to hear from you. Hope to see you here in chat talking with me. If you have questions or comments about past shows or the potential for a future show, let me know. But this article is over at medcitynews.com. Uh, Amanda James is the author of it. A patient is alleging that the patient portal he used to communicate with his doctors at Advocate Aurora and to schedule appointments used a pixelated code that also em- uh, enabled logging in via Facebook and then shared data with Facebook. Color me not surprised. Beacon actually existed for a while with Facebook. I'm not even sure what the status of it is anymore. Um, I stopped really focusing on uh, Facebook uh, security related matters uh, right around the time that time and time and time again, there's either uh, exfiltration of data or some other um, within the walled garden uh, use of personal information. And, and we all sign our terms of use rights away. We just basically say, here, go ahead, do what you want to with my data. I, on the other hand, uh, when I witnessed the reveal of a psychology experiment with 700,000 users of Facebook to see what their emotional contagion would end up resulting in online only. They weren't, these people weren't monitored offline. So you don't know really if they gave, gave out hugs or if they punched somebody in the face. Well, negative news from that study provoked negative responses and positive news provoked positive responses. So I'm sure some analyst is sitting there flexing that, Hey, look, we have a a net wash because half of them were negative and half of them were positive. So in general, we got it a wash. Well, anyway, this is just another thing. Um, This is uh, unsurprising because I have witnessed where I have clicked on something that has connected me to Facebook by proxy, not even an actual login, but it was like this where I clicked on something. It connected me to a site to log in via Facebook and it wasn't the Facebook site. Now I can't even remember because it's so long ago. Um, And uh, from that point on, I started getting notices that, um, Hey, you're, your pages, the ones that you used to actually control. Uh, Here's some updates regarding them. But when I went dormant for four years, I stopped getting them because they knew that it was stale data. Well, now they know that it's not stale data anymore. 
Every time you see a, a Twitter icon that allows you to share it or post it or whatever, it's telemetry that gets exfiltrated that somebody clicked on this or somebody uh, had a page impression. So I wouldn't be surprised by this, but it enabled logging in and logging in are two different animals. Uh, the patient is alleging that the patient portal he used to communicate with his doctors at Advocate Aurora and to schedule appointments uh, shared that data. So the quote here is whenever a patient uses Advocate's website and applications, including its uh, LiveWell or LiveWell, LiveWell portal, um, Advocate and Facebook intercept contemporaneously cause a, a transmission of and use personally identifiable uh, patient information and PHI without patient's knowledge, consent, or authorization. Well, the scope of that is it's going to be challenging. Uh, Alistair Stewart said in his complaint filed in Northern Illinois District Court last week, the case comes shortly after Advocate Aurora, based in Wisconsin and Illinois, issued a statement on October 21st on its website stating that the data breach had occurred. To remedy the breach, the hospital system had disabled the quote-unquote pixel system. The healthcare system also said it launched an internal investigation to understand what patient information was leaked. That'll be an interesting to watch if you are interested in anything having to do with cybersecurity. Uh, another quote in this is at all relevant times, advocate and Facebook knew that the meta pixel intercepted and disclosed. So if you're ever doubting that this is actually just Facebook meta, it is Facebook. Facebook is just an asset in the meta toolbox, but it really is formed from Facebook entirely because it used to be called the Facebook pixel. Anyway, MetaPixel now intercepted and disclosed personally identifiable information. This was evidenced from, among other things, the functionality of the Pixel, including that it enabled Advocate's LiveWell portal to show targeted advertising to its digital subscribers based on the products those digital subscribers had previously viewed on the website, including certain medical tests or procedures for which Advocate received financial remuneration. I'll be paying attention to this. The data breach could have affected 3 million patients, according to the Health and Human Services list of cases under investigation. But it, this isn't really a data breach. <laughs> this is data exfiltration, but it's not a breach. It's not a security lapse, not if it's doing as intended. And those who deployed it were ignorant of the intent. This suit may be barking up the wrong tree. If somewhere along the line, when they signed up for the service, they said personal ident personally identifiable health information could be distributed to vendors. I guess we will see. I'm going to watch this. This is something that I'll have to flag and, and keep on monitoring. Much like a pixel. The next article is over on the continuity report. 25 most popular TV shows right now. Top series everyone is watching. That's according uh, to Rotten Tomatoes. Um, they've got a bunch of information over here. I don't know if there is an author. Um, the, only the only name I see is Alex Vo, but I don't think that's the author of this article. But at any rate, uh, number one is Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosity Season 1. I hear that this is actually spectacular. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I am going to watch it this weekend, uh, maybe tomorrow night. Uh, it really depends on how busy we are here in Omtown. Um, we're doing construction, and I have to purge close to 400, uh, actually now over 400,000 topics. Uh, from our development environment. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, from what I hear, has been getting rave reviews. Rave reviews. People really dig it. It's got a 92% Rotten Tomatoes right now. The Peripheral Season 1 is another one that I'm watching. Um, I think that it's great. It is um, cyberpunkish. Kind of, it's 
quite interesting because when you think of cyberpunk, you think kind of cyberpunk 2077, um, but uh, William Gibson's writing doesn't necessarily, depending on how you read it and, and how um, explicit the particular paragraph is, it doesn't really stick you in a big city. Um, and the peripheral really, it's out in the country. It's quite fascinating, um, but high tech. And you, when you're first watching it, you don't really suspect this is where it's going. Um, it's actually an audiobook as well on Audible, um, the peripheral. Uh, season one on uh, Prime is a take off of the book. So if you want to spoil the entire series, go listen to the book or read the book. Um, the Watcher season one is number three. Uh, that is something that um, apparently is getting a, a big push. I mean, there's a lot of people that are watching it and I'm hearing about it. There's, a, you know, a lot of birds are, are, are tweeting about it, but um I have yet to watch anything having to do with the watcher, but it's in season one. Um, I'm really not into anything George R. R. Martin anymore. Um, <laughs> Game of Thrones burnt me out. Um, and uh, the books are just, um, <laughs> I don't know, pretty much the same. I'm sure that the better and the writing is better and all of that kind of stuff, but I could care. I don't really care. <laughs> Um, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power season one. That's the next one that people are reading. And I've never heard of from scratch limited, which is a limited series. Um, by turns, a buoyant and wistful romance from scratch is an emotionally resonant miniseries that benefits from its Italian scenery and Zoe Sandania's or Saldania's, sorry, um, considerable dramatic chops. I might have to watch that. Uh, Andor season one, um, Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, She-Hulk, The Sinner, White Lotus season two, which I have not seen any of, uh, The Patient limited series, which I haven't seen anything of, Midnight Club season one, The Devil's Hour season one, The Playlist season one, and more. Um, there's, I guess, a thing called 28 Days Haunted Season 1. That, a lot of this stuff might actually be coming off of uh, the October uh, spooktacular kind of a thing. Uh, interview with the Vampire Season 1 as well. Not sure how I'll like this. I, I am a fan of Anne Rice's um, world building for Interview with a Vampire and the Vampire Lestat and others. Um, but not so much um, movies that I have seen haven't really hit it out of the park for me. Um, although Interview with a Vampire, I think I could probably watch it again. It might change my perspective. At any rate, there's a whole bunch more about uh, 15 more. Maybe actually strike that. There's about 10 more that you can go and check out over at Rotten Tomatoes. Follow the link that's over in Omtown, and to, to get to that link again, just type in omtown.showbot.tv, and uh, it will provide you a list of uh, URLs that you can vote for. When you click on them, it'll actually tick a vote. Uh, so go check it out, please, please. Um, consider it important to mayoral activities here in Omtown. The next article is Disney's live-action Hercules will be more experimental. And inspired by TikTok, <laughs> says producer Joe Russo. I never thought that I would hear the phrase, Disney's live action Hercules will be more experimental and inspired by TikTok. In this week's cover story for Variety filmmakers, Joe and Anthony Russo are clear that their dedication to their own independent studio, AGBO, means the directors of Adventure End uh, Avengers Endgame I don't expect to make another movie with Marvel Studios anytime soon. Interesting. Uh, Adam B. Very over at Variety.com wrote this article. And um, it says here, at least they won't do anything with Marvel until the end of the decade. 
So it's 2022 now. I guess they're going to be putting in some effort elsewhere. So good luck to them. Uh, starting out with a live action Hercules spun from inspiration of TikTok seems to be, I don't know. Uh, I guess this is going to be an art film for sure. Uh, quote, we have an amazing relationship with them that we've built over the decade. I think we have a point of view on how they can stretch the limits of their IP moving forward rather than playing IP management, says Joe Russo. Um, yeah, the Russos have, however, already returned to Marvel's parent company, Disney. Through AGBO, they're producing the live-action adaptation of Disney's 1997 animated feature, Hercules, with Guy Ritchie. Interesting. So along with Hercules, AGBO is also collaborating with some of the biggest streaming platforms in the industry. For Netflix, they developed or are developing a sequel and prequel to The Gray Man and directing a sci-fi adventure, The Electric State, with Millie Bobby Brown and Chris Pratt. And well, anywhere Chris Pratt goes, pretty much everybody's going to go. And Millie Bobby Brown is going to be commanding people to watch as well. And for Amazon Prime Video, they're producing the wildly ambitious spy thriller Citadel with Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Richard Madden and a reboot of Butch and Sundance as an event series to Amazon with Regé Jean Page and um, Glenn Powell attached as titular outlaws. I love that. It seems like every article that I read about characters has titular in it. Let's do the next article over in Mobile. Um, I do have a plan, a completely different plan for Mobile. I don't know. Um, really not ready to announce it yet, but I keep teasing. Stocks drop as Fed leaves investors uncertain about rates. Not sure if you've been paying attention, but the Fed raised rates 0.75. The Fed chair said the central bank still has a way to go before it will be finished raising uh, interest rates and that it may go higher than previously anticipated. I expected a 0.25 to 0.5. They blew my shoes off by making it a 0.75 rate increase. This, by the way, does nothing really to help anybody out. It's supposed to put the brakes on the economy. One of those metrics is the number of outstanding jobs. We'll get to that. Remember that. Jerome H. Powell, the Federal Reserve Chair, said the central bank still has a way to go before it's done raising interest rates and the rates may go higher than blah, blah, blah. Um, so stocks seesawed on Wednesday, but eventually ended the day lower after Jerome H. Powell, the Federal Reserve Chair, dashed investors' hopes that an end to the central bank's rate increases may be soon over. Here's the problem, though, that this is about investors, investors, not everyday people, not you and me, not the people who are the machinery making things go. You know, that's Star Trek. I make things go. Well, there, uh, well, I, you know what? I'm going to be jumping the gun if I uh, talk about this now, but keep in mind investors. This is the, this is the metric, right? Investors are flinching. Investors are flinching. Okay. There's a bunch of money in the system. Investors are flinching. Investors invest. That money gets doled out. The breaks are the interest rate because the money gets put into a bank or it gets put into investments that get put into a bank and the money gets loaned out. And that banking loan rate starts at whatever the Fed says the floor is. It's the interbank loan rate. So guess what? It goes up by 0.75, which means everything goes up by 0.75, which is supposed to put the brakes on the economy. But it's really just hurting the middle class. The S&P 500 rallied soon after the statement was released, climbing into positive territory, but the rebound quickly became unstuck when Mr. Powell began his public comments as he reiterated that the central bank still has a ways to go. Well, did people think that it was going to go up 1.25? 
a full percentage and a quarter because they rallied. <laughs> they rallied after it was going to go up 0.75. So the two-year treasury yield, which is sensitive to changes in Fed policy, ended 0.06 percentage points higher at 4.59. But this isn't really what everybody should be really worried about. Okay, because this is investors investing against investors, making money or shorting it. But regular Joes are just putting their money into 401ks and other simpler, <laughs> simple uh, and simpler instruments. They're not doing these uh, almost magical machinations to create wealth from nothing more than investing some cash and then moving stuff around from left to right until you make X amount of money in a day trading system or, or mechanism or process, you know, believe me, and I've been there. So that's not what everybody should be worried about. It's about, it should be, you should be worried about billionaires and the billions of money billions of dollars in money that's being created from nothing to fill the coffers of people who are investing nothing but money to make money, not of a product or a service or some good for society. It's making eight to 12% and they're making money on their money. Right now I have I say that society should be aware of that while at the same time saying everybody who can invest now, leave it alone. Don't touch it. It will go up 10%. It'll go down 10%, but it'll beat all of the normal machinations. Why? Because you don't have full information. You as an investor don't have anything more than writing the coattails of the people who are closer to the information that have already made their moves and massive profits. And you are just sliding in, writing the coattails being dragged along until it just goes flat. And then you're pulling your money out and putting it somewhere else. Oh, it's not going to go up anymore. I better move. Well, it's already moved. You can see that when you look at stocks and, and go, oh, I, I guess I should have moved earlier. It's because other people get this information before you and politically connected and financially connected uh, nepotistic processes are definitely at play without a doubt. Absolutely without a doubt. Well, when the stocks slide, it looks like negative 500 points for the Dow Jones, negative 100 for S&P. That's just today. We'll see what uh, aftermarket has to show. And tomorrow, when I go through this again, NASDAQ is down 366. That's 3.36%. Um, and let's see what Bitcoin ended up doing. Did it eat itself? Yeah. It dropped 351 bucks today. It hovers around 20,000. I don't, like I've said in other episodes, I don't think it's going to um, see $25,000 in a decade, I'd say. We'll see. We'll, we'll always see. That one's like a long-term thing, and you never know what really happens, but I don't think anything's going to happen with Bitcoin anytime soon. I think it's met its peak and and irrational exuberance has relegated itself back down to 20,000 and gas prices have gone up a buck. Um, but diesel's still sitting at $5 and 31 cents, um, nearly two bucks higher than a year ago. And all it's done is sit there. Um, okay. So the next article, let's keep on trucking through the news. Um, researchers turn age-old uh, molding technique to 3D print cell-laden vascular models. Now, this is the other half of the article. Uh, sorry, I have the uh, headline for today's episode. Uh, this is over at phys.org, one of my main sources for uh, science-based news. Singapore University of Technology and Design. 
Um, cardiovascular diseases remain to be one of the um, leading causes of mortality around the world. There is an urgent need for, for improved vascular models anatomically and biologically to advance our understanding of disease progression, such as uh, understanding such understanding can lead to the development of new therapeutic interventions while scientists conventionally rely heavily on animal models to help shed light on the f uh, pathophysiology of cvds and drug development they're limited by their ability to predict toxicity in humans so quote given the differences in the underlying molecular cellular and physiological mechanisms between animals and humans animal models do not necessarily provide us with an accurate understanding of human physiology explained associate professor yi chin to um corresponding author from queensland university of technology and uh, so they created uh, 3d models and then 3d bioprinted living human cells uh, mixed with bio inks and deposited in a specific manner to recapitulate the micro environment of native organs however fabricating the intricacies found in organs using current bioprinting methods is still challenging due to technology limitations essentially we don't have the ability to adequately and uh, at a clone like level replicate vascular structure not entirely um, because of these existing limitations in 3d bioprinting they decided to deviate from underlying uh, entirely on relying on um, 3d printing to fabricate the vascular constructs so the team developed a fabrication technique inspired by the age-old molding method uh, 3d printing was used to fabricate the molds for the vascular networks However, unlike conventional molding processes where the uh, filled liquid material solidifies in mass, the team introduced a unique solidifying approach. The technique involved using a two-part 3D printed mold consisting of hydrogels of polyethylene, uh, yeah, polyethylene glycol, diacrylate, um, or PEGDA and PEGDA hydrogel was selected because it could behave like a sponge to soak up calcium ions, which are responsible for cross-linking the selected bio ink. So they use this unique method to create uh, pretty much anything because all it had to do was get 3D printed out and then th they built this uh, bio ink poured it in and it does solidify uh, using the technique the researchers successfully engineered freestanding branching multi-layered and per, uh, perfusible vascular networks quote importantly we were able to mix other bioactive materials into the bio ink to make the microenvironment more suitable for human vascular cells pretty cool so maybe we're going to get a little bit closer to actually creating um directly aligned uh, vascular uh, frameworks that we would be able to replace without excising them from one place and putting them somewhere else. We can actually 3D print human compatible vascular um, uh, sorry for the silence. I'm trying to uh, read a little bit more so anatomically and biologically compatible vascular structures and and stick them back in a human um, that'll be interesting but right now it's probably going to be used for experimentation uh, research so let's keep going let's go through the news lawmakers to powell how many millions will be thrown out of their jobs due to fed policy well we just learned that it went up 0.75 a new letter, uh, members of Congress led by Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, take Fed Chair Jerome Powell to task over his apparent disregard for the livelihoods of millions of working Americans. Uh, <clears throat> I have a problem with this take because, um, well, let's just keep going through this. Um, apparent disregard for the livelihoods of millions. This is over at commondreams.org uh, by Jake Johnson. Says a group of 10 congressional Democrats and independent uh, Senator Bernie Sanders on Monday asked Federal Reserve 
Chair Jerome Powell to estimate how many millions of U.S. workers will be out of a job next year due to the central bank's rate hiking frenzy. And I have to just say, here, let me just say it this way. It's not up to the politicians. This is an economic, a fiscal take (laughs) on which direction the economy is going. And the Fed is a quasi-government agency that is not supposed to be influenced by politics. But it can be influenced by, well, I should say the economy can be influenced by the population. Why do I say it like that? Well, there are 10.7 million job openings right now. That was the job report earlier this week. I talked about it. In fact, there's a title that's based on it. If you look back at the archive, well, what is the average salary of this? And look at the profit margins of the companies. Look at how much the average salary is putting on the table for these people. There's 10.7 million jobs open and it went up 400,000 jobs. If this policy and this, this increase, this rate increase is directly uh, correlated to that jobs report. If the job, a number of free jobs would have gone down, then it wouldn't be 0.75, almost guaranteed. But that's what was expected, 0.75 apparently, right? A, Seven five, a 75 basis point hike is widely expected, marking the fourth consecutive increase of that size, even as a growing chorus of experts and analysts raise concerns about mass job loss. People aren't taking jobs for any reason other than maybe convenience because the jobs don't pay enough, right? People are not getting paid enough. Across the board, people aren't getting paid enough, but the CEOs, the C-suite, the stockholders, stockholders, not stakeholders, the stockholders, they are making bank. (laughs) Meanwhile, year after year, salary doesn't match the cost of living increases, even with the Fed rate at zero. So there were no more profits being given to people. No, they were being taken home by the C-suite and by the boards and by the investors. Plain and simple. The, the business, the, the business of business is making money for a select few off of what I would probably, you know, and it sounds really weird for me to sit there and say this, but people are being turned into wage slaves. They're uh, have, they have the ability to, work eight to 12 hours a day, but they're still not making a livable ongoing concern wage. They cannot thrive because they're being meted out a little dose, just enough to get by. Even if you're making $75,000, that isn't enough to live in New York. You have to make 150,000 and don't hold me to that. I'm basically just throwing out numbers here, but look at the average salary. Look at the average house. And why should everybody have to pay for somebody else's mortgage for a, a, a rented an apartment somewhere? Why not make things approachable? Why can't I telework? <laughs> it's an office job. Why can't I telework? Let me work from home and I can buy a home out in the suburbs somewhere and the cost is approachable. Now the mortgage rate is for somebody. And this is, you know, I really, I think it should be for everybody, but I don't think it is everybody. It's 7.5. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's roughly 7.5. I'll round up. It's 7.6 just to make room for highs and lows. I don't see everybody's. I just see it by state because I'm using Google. So 7.6 for crying out loud. 
the average house is like $350,000. You're not going to be able to get enough. You're not going to be able to save enough. So really what this person, what this cadre of 10 should be asking is why are we not focusing on changing the culture of greed? You can be, you can make millions if you sell more of the product or provide more of the service and compete for consumers instead of everybody saying, oh, look, everybody else is raising their rates. We can raise our rates too. We'll just raise them a little bit less, yeah, 10 cents. And then you mark it like crazy so that you're the first result in the search results. And all of that is a big issue. You know, I, I there's research that says that local news was wiped out because internet exists and there were no more ads. Local ads were gone. Poof. So local news couldn't get enough revenue generation. And then those that survived attrition because they're owned by millionaires in the region now control the news. And then they get purchased by consortiums that own a whole lot of news organizations in localities and then they control the messaging we've seen that before too let's keep moving in the financial crimes section over on market watch um, stock marketeers is where it was aggregated to but uh, instagram influencer jay mazzini pleads guilty to running an eight million dollar ponzi scheme and crypto scam mazzini whose real name is jabara igbara Amassed over 1 million followers through his videos of him handing out cash to needy people. This is uh, an article by Lucas I. Alpert over at marketwatch.com. Um, looks like a budget Drago. Uh, Jabara Igbara uh, made his name online as Jay Mazzini, who handed out piles of cash to needy people. Um, an Instagram, uh, so let me wait, wait, he's an Instagram follower or influencer. Um, he used videos of himself handing out cash to needy people to amass more than 1 million followers has pleaded guilty to stealing over $8 million from thousands of people through a Ponzi scheme and crypto scam. He could have just rode the wave, man. Why hurry up and, and rip people off for crying out loud. You're going to get caught in the United States. You're going to get caught like brutally. You're going to get caught. Well, if you do it wrong, <laughs> you do it right. You can become a billionaire. Um, posed online as an altruistic hero named Jay Mazzini, uh, showing up at supermarkets and offering to pay for everyone's groceries. In other uh, videos, he would walk up to fast food restaurants and hand large piles of cash to people working there. In one video, he appeared with a wrapper 50 cent, handing out cash to the employees of a Burger King in Queens. A spokeswoman for 50 cent, didn't he uh, immediately respond to the message seeking comment? Igbara claimed that he did it to show love to the people, but federal prosecutor said his real aim was to make people think he was rich in order to draw them into a variety of investment scams. So if this is true, everything was fine. Like he's like countless other YouTubers and, and I'm sure, um, uh, you know, TikTokers and Instagrammers and, influencers in general that hand out a buttload of cash to somebody over time it's gotten worse and worse like people are like giving away islands and cars and all kinds of stuff right but it says here the defendant has admitted to leveraging his instagram popularity to prey upon in innocent investors and steal at least eight million dollars of their hard-earned money Igbara faces up to 20 years. So I'm not sure what the context of the, of this is. He's, it says here that he sees the error of his ways and realizes how idiotic he was and wants to move on with his life and make his victims whole. Says Lichtman, uh, who is the attorney for Igbara. He would promise investors high rates of return in short period of time, but instead use the money to pay for his own expenses and gambling habit. Well, that's where it went full dipshit. 
To further entice people to invest with him, Igbara claimed that he was worth $33 million. Well, he might have been, uh, but it was prospective value or prospective net worth. In March, Igbara was sentenced to five years in state prison in New Jersey for kidnapping a rival who had threatened to expose him, beating him unconscious and threatening to kill him with a machete. This guy was still walking around somewhere. Yeah. Prosecutor said Igbara would send, uh, would send his victims doctored images of wire transfer conf confirmations to show he had paid them for their crypto when he had not stealing their money instead. Yeah. So this guy's just a straight up thief. Okay, so the next article is in the Band of Bezel or, uh, channel, introducing the wickedly cool Code 41 Mechascape Sublimation 1. Is a pocket watch and desk clock in one. This is a pretty neat gadget. I saw this elsewhere, and then uh, because I know that I get this uh, through monochrome, um, I had to hunt it down. I knew, though, that it was there. Robin Nui of the, or Noi of the, uh, monochrome-watches.com site put this together a skeletonized time device you can carry along in your uh, pocket or pop up on your desk during work i love skeletonized uh, timekeeping devices i will go out of my way for them um, just to see them i can't afford them they're thousands upon thousands of dollars sometimes um, and this is no slouch in that regard. So normally we can classify something as a wristwatch or pocket watch or a clock, but in, the, in some instances, an object can transcend these labels and morph into something uh, more than a single class thing. That is from the article. Monochrome always has these great pictures. This to me uh, looks really close to a computer uh, graphic. <laughs> So that one looks like a computer graphic. That one looks like a computer. I mean, it doesn't look like it, it's a render. It looks like a render. And that really kind of bothers me. Um, but this thing is a, the skeletonized, um, kind of like a, the size of a deck of cards, like maybe a half a deck of cards. Um, cause I can't really make out the full thickness of this thing, but it stands up in its own little stand and it's riveted together and it shows uh, a piece of the element of the clockworks on the back, but is completely exposed on the front so that you can see the time. Um, and it, again, it's skeletonized so you can see the watch works um, inside. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, I want one, but code 41 mech escape sublimation one is launched today in retails for 9,360 us dollars. And it comes in a protective leather sleeve. That's great. You don't have to pay extra like with Apple. Um, which can hold a credit card or a business card, a business card. Um, and of course a stand to put it on your desk or side table at home. Can you imagine you like whip that thing out and you set it next to you in the cab and or Uber or wherever, and then poof, you forget it. And eh, you probably have a private driver. If you've got a $10,000 rectangular watch, go and check it out. It's over at monochrome-watches.com. Um, got two more articles. This next one is shipping giant Maersk uh, warns of looming global recession. Royal Mail staff plan Black Friday strike. This is business live over at The Guardian. Um, I probably won't be able to go into much detail about this. Um, but a Danish shipping giant Maersk uh, widely seen as a barometer for global trade, cut its forecasts for container demand this year and predicted that the global economy would enter recession. If you've been paying attention to me for the last year, you've been hopefully following what I said and uh, preparing for this. Uh, we are going to enter a recession. Um, and I would say that it's going to happen within the first quarter of 2023. Um, kind of slamming the door shut as the Christmas bump does not arrive. It may or may not. Um, but I don't think that it will. And uh, we'll, we'll watch um, Halloween numbers roll in. We'll see what the um, Thanksgiving here in the States, the, these are the kind of trigger dates. 
Thanksgiving uh, metrics to see how much money is being spent on Thanksgiving. Uh, summer, I don't think was very spectacular. Um, so Christmas is going to be the final, uh, I guess, nail in the economic coffin. Um, or we'll be all set free like a vampire at midnight. Um, so it says, uh, Hearst now expects container demand to fall between 2 and 4% this year and believes freight rates have peaked. I don't believe freight rates, rates have peaked um, because uh, anybody that's getting orders from overseas are actually feeling the rates still increase. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce their name, Soren Scow or Scoo. I'm not sure how to pronounce their name. Uh, they also predicted that it's quite likely that we enter or are, uh, wait, <laughs> it's quite likely that we either are or will soon be in a recession, certainly in Europe, but potentially also in the US. Yeah, I'm thinking from the US perspective only. I can't speak to the EU. Um, but the Eurozone factories certainly appear to be in recession, it says in this article. Um, manufacturing activity in the Euro area sank to the lowest level since the first COVID-19 lockdowns in 2020. Um, this could end up being like the dead cat bounce. Um, so 2008 to 2010, that was the shock from the U.S. recession in 2008. Um, 2020 is COVID. If you're looking at this uh, S&P global PMI, um, I follow a thing called the producer price index and the consumer price index, as well as other um, Fed related metrics. And um, what I'm seeing is basically the predictors that say that we are going to go deeper than the 2019, 2020 a recessionary trend uh, from from the pandemic we've recovered um, but there are some really irrationally exuberant growth rates um, and, and shipping prices is one of them gas prices is another it's weird though because if you look at the price of oil it's been like kind of peaking from time to time at around 85 90 it's sitting at 95, I think, right now. Let me see for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's 96 today. It just went up $1.50. Um, but at any rate, uh, we'll keep watching it. But it's certainly not as high as it has been historically. So why is it, why are gas prices this high? When we've had peaks of oil at 120, um, yet we didn't have $5 diesel. Um Anyway, this last article is in the Warcrafters channel. Frontier acquires the studio behind Warhammer 40k Demon Hunters with an eye to more ambitious, ambitious future titles. Frontier Developments, maker of uh, games in which you tinker with spaceships and games in, uh, in which you tinker with race cars, has announced that it's acquiring Complex Games, the Canadian studio behind Warhammer 40,000 Chaos Gate Demon Hunters. Um, the deal is the first time Frontier has acquired a development studio, which is probably why it opted to buy one it had worked with before. Demon Hunters was published by Frontier Foundry, the company's publishing arm. Not bad. It means that a lot of the employees of the other uh, studio now know that they're getting a more steady paycheck, possibly, um, unless they have some real demonic management that will cut the bottom 10% as they perceive it. Joshua Wolins over at PCGamer.com is the author of this and uh, has this great little byline there that says, you make space games, I make space games. Let's make it official. So like two peas in a pod, they are now making space games together complex games currently consists of a 20 person team and the acquisition by frontier is meant to enable the company to quote unquote develop more ambitious future titles so this is pretty cool um yeah i like these little machinations sometimes uh, they work out and it can save jobs and it can brew something that is constructive and consumer uh customer centric something bigger better badder 
uh, more awesome than if they could have done it individually and at a more reasonable cost. So everybody gets better. Hopefully, right? People get profit from their work in in acquisition like this. But sometimes it removes competition. These were actually working together to produce and, and distribute games. But now you know, where I draw the line, where I have a problem is where a competitor outright buys another competitor and then people start losing their jobs and you don't get as good a benefit. Now, when game development, odds on you're going to get a better product. When you're a mega corporation and they're just scooping up companies and they're buying competitors, not compatriots, but competitors, guess what? You get less. And that's demonstrable. You can look anywhere. Anyway, that is it for today here at Hometown Daily News Show for um, November 2nd, right? Yeah, it's November 2nd, 2022. We're 306 episodes into the year. Not bad. Not bad, Marwat. And thanks for coming if you're in my chat. Uh, hopefully you're downloading the podcast. You're checking out the YouTube channel. I don't get like subscribers over at the YouTube channel. Um, feel free to go over there and follow me there. That would be great. I'd love to see numbers increase there. I see things. I know what people are, are searching for. I know that people are watching some videos, but for crying out loud, there isn't that much. It's really hard to get discovered over on YouTube and I'm not a train wreck. So, well, personally, I might be. Anyway, thank you very much for coming. I will see you tomorrow, 6 p.m. Um, no, there's no intro, but there might be exit music. But either way, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.